Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ian. This morning we will address the most destructive lie that our enemy delivers that has historically led Christians away from the grace of God and in the worst cases it even produces a false gospel. Along with some necessary insights into the evil one's titles, uh, we will look today at what is the most important passage in the whole New Testament for revealing the unstoppable love of God. Thanks for joining us today as we uncover Satan's key defining characteristic as being the accuser of the brethren. picked Sadie up from school this past week and normally where she meets me joyful hugs bouncing and bubbly that wasn't her demeanor this week she looked a little somber a little sad and I said honey what's wrong was school okay and she said it was fine I was like well what happened and she didn't want to tell me because she got her name written on the board (laughs) now for any of you that know Sadie you can imagine how hard that would be for her. And as she is recounting this, telling me that she got her name written on the board, her voice began to tremble and get a little high-pitched and tears started to well up in her eyes. And immediately I wanted her to know, I, I don't care. Like, that's not affecting my love for you. I love you just the same. And I have nothing against the teacher as well. The issue was uh, she didn't have her uh, parents sign her book. That was it. That's what she got her name written on the board for. So whose fault really is that? Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. Sorry, honey. Um, You could see, though, in the same way that you heard from Lisa this morning, when something is made known to you that's out of line or out of order, how it produces like a weight in you that you can sense and you can feel. And how very desperately those of us who have that moment would hate it if our name got posted up on a wall for all to see. The devil knows this about you. He knows that you are broken in your depravity. And because you carry this sinfulness in the um, unregenerate nature of our flesh... The Spirit of God in us will bring conviction over those moments, but of a kind of conviction that the devil will seek to exploit. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And this morning, you and I are going to give our attention once more to uncovering his playbook, his strategy to try to stop God's people from being effective in our worship and our glory of God. And for that this morning, we're going to look at how he exploits that sense of brokenness in your life and in mine. Uh, Because do you know that you are like Humpty Dumpty? Do you know? Humpty Dumpty sat on a... Humpty Dumpty had a great... All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. But do you know that's what you're going to try to do anyways? You're going to try to. You're going to try to bandage up the broken pieces of your life so that no one will see, so no one will know. Because how desperate are we that we would not see our names written on that wall? And so you will hear lies from the evil one, lies that will come in the form of accusation, telling you that you are no good, that you are not good enough, that you don't measure up. I want you to know I feel this too. 
I, church, I hate being wrong. I hate it. Even with the stupidest little things. Um, the other day, uh, I was at Lane and Chelsea's and I made some comment that we didn't have any soap in our shower. And Emily said, yes, we do. And I said, no, we don't. And she said, yes, we do. <laughs> now, I've already set my flag squarely on the no, we don't hill. And so when we got home, my wife sent me a picture of the soap right there in the shower. And I got to reply, you were right. I, was, I hate being wrong. I hate it. Even with stupid little things. How about you? Do, you? do you enjoy being wrong? Do you enjoy the sin, the error in your own life when it shows up? And will you succumb? Will you be susceptible? Are you also tempted with the voice of the enemy to say, just pretend you're right. Just cover it up. Don't let anybody know. Because he is the one who exploits the brokenness of our Humpty Dumpty lives. This morning, we're going to be in what is, I think, the most important passage in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And as I have been studying this this week, it has occurred to me that this may be Satan's number one lie. And so in many ways, I think this may be the most important message I could give. In, in another sense, as I myself have been studying it, it's occurring to me, I might need to preach this Months after months after months in a row that we would learn it because we are so deeply ingrained with believing of our own ability to patch up the brokenness in our lives. I am fully uh, expecting that a majority of us in here won't even get it this morning. And so it, it really is my prayer that you allow the spirit of God to speak to you through his word this morning. Just before we read in Romans 8, let me give some reminders for for where we've been, as well as talking through the the scope of who we're dealing with. You'll remember that we started two weeks ago talking about the great sin of the evil one was pride. Remember this? And pride will show up manifesting in your life one of four different ways, all of which are the turning of the arrow to love and support and pay attention to who? Me, myself, and I. You remember that. And the only recourse that we have given from God's word for our pride, it's not humility, it's sorrow. If you have not come to the point where you recognize your own pride with sorrow, I submit to you, you are still being fooled. If you think that pride is something that's affecting the person sitting next to you more than yourself, then you right now have been deceived. Last Sunday, we did look at that lie specifically, deception. The way the devil will trick us. Three different ways, if you recall. He comes as an angel of light. He pretends to be righteous. He will convince you as well that you are righteous. Secondly, he will exploit your humanity. He will make it seem like the thing that is actually wrong is good because it appeals to your creatureliness. And then lastly, he will deceive you by by sprinkling in just enough truth with the lie. Spoonful of sugar the wrong medicine. And so there's enough truth in what the devil is saying to deceive us into thinking he's right. And you'll recall from last Sunday, what is the counterattack that God's word gives us for this? Remember, you need to love the truth. Hold to the truth. Tell the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, those three activities will help inoculate and keep you from being deceived. But trust me, the enemy's arrows will fly anyways. 
This morning, we're going to look at another aspect of that, the lie of accusation and adulation. But before we do, we really have to ask the question, who are we dealing with? And so a few preliminaries, who are we dealing with? I want you to know, first of all, you may not know this, that Satan is not his name. The Hebrew word Satan means enemy, adversary, one who stands opposed. And so Satan is not a name. Satan is a title for this spirit creature who God made, an anointed cherub, adorned in great beauty, where pride showed up in his life, and he said, I want to make myself like the Most High, and he was cast out of heaven. We, we heard that verse read this morning. But that's not his name. That's what he is. He is your adversary. In fact, the Hebrew word Satan is used throughout the Old Testament to refer in many places to individuals who are standing opposed. It's even used one time of the angel of the Lord is standing opposed. So Satan is not his name. Satan is a title. Now, if we get that, if you're with me on that for this morning, because, I mean, maybe your whole life you just thought that was his name. That's not his name. That's what he is. And if we can understand that this morning, then maybe that would help us in uncovering that this adversary has a strategy against us. For this morning, I think it's his two other titles that will give you and I insight into this tactic of his. The second one here is Lucifer. Have you heard that before? Do you know that Lucifer is not his name either? In fact, this isn't even a Hebrew or Greek word. This is a Latin phrase that comes out of Isaiah chapter 14, where Satan, or our adversary, and we'll refer to him in that way, um, is depicted as the bright morning star. And so the Greek word here is, it's actually the element phosphorus. You ever hear of phosphorus? Phos meaning light. And pharaoh, the verb to carry, to bring. It means the light bearer or the shining one. That's what it means. That's not what he, that's not his name. That's what he looks like. That is the, that is the masquerade, mask, facade that the evil one wants to show forth as though he were this glimmering, shining, beautiful light bearer. He's not. Right right below the surface is utter evil and depravity, but on the surface, that's what he looks like. The second one is the one that we use very commonly, just referred to devil. Devil as well is not his name. Devil is a title, and it means accuser. That's what it means. Slanderer. Gossip in some contexts. Somebody who is speaking against, speaking a word of condemnation. That's what we saw in our Zechariah verse, which we'll reference a little bit later. I want you to know this is who we're dealing with. An enemy, an adversary who will depict himself in two ways before you. One of looking really, really good and one who brings that finger of condemnation to say over you, you are worthless. You will never amount to anything. You are not worthy of God's love. That's who we're dealing with. All right, you guys with me? Everybody with me on that? With this in mind, uh, and we really need to capture this, uh, now we can look into Romans 8. Because as we walk through this, I don't want you to miss the verses in Romans 8 that are going to cite that individual, our enemy who stands opposed to us. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. Paul writes, 
And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it's written, for for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's worth an amen. That's worth an amen. There's so much in here. And if we don't recognize the titles of our enemy, you might miss Paul's emphasis to see how God has triumphed Over our adversary, the one who brings condemnation, the one who brings charge, the one who brings accusation, the one to whom we are told, you can't stop the love of God. Neither angels nor demons can separate us from the love of God. That's the one who Paul is showing Christ has vanquished and love is now extended to you and I. I want us to look at what is just maybe the primary observation from this text. And again, hear me as clearly as you can. This is the devil's number one lie. Satan lies by convincing you of self-justification. As though you need to get better. As though you need to work harder. As though you need to bandage yourself up to present yourself before God. This is the number one lie that the devil attacks us with. I could give story after story uh, of how even in our elder training, we have run across uh, instances from observing Christians, or not even non-Christians and Christians outside, this, uh, outside of our body, outside of the body of Christ, and how rampant this confusion is. The, the devil has people utterly deceived into thinking this is what you need to do. And it manifests itself in two ways. As soon as you get this lie, here's what it looks like. First of all, it will manifest as accusation. Have you ever heard those words from the evil one? You're not good enough. You're you're the only one struggling with this. God would never choose you. You're essentially unlovable, unredeemable. You cannot be helped. You might as well give up. God's forgotten you. God has abandoned you. Whatever it is that you're facing, 
Do not miss that moment in Zechariah as it said that Joshua the priest was there before the Lord. And who was right there at his right hand? Do you remember who it was? Satan was right there bringing accusation. This is what the word devil means. Devil means accuser, slanderer. And for you, that will feel like self-deprecation. For you, that will feel like I am worthless. For you, that will feel like I can't be helped. This is the end. Uh, Look with me back in the the text in just a few places so you can see this. Um, Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the devil who's against you, but God's already for you. Up in verse 33, who will bring any charge against those God, God has chosen? That's what the devil is doing. He's bringing charge against you because of your brokenness. Are you broken? Humpty Dumpty's. Yes, are you? All the hands go up. Absolutely, I'm broken. Absolutely, I have sinned. Well, devil's going to bring charge. Next line, verse 31. Who is he that condemns? It's the devil who condemns. That's who it is. Down to verse 38. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons. There they are again. Constantly bringing accusation against you. We see this. Actually, we see the the correct answer for this. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Do you see what the devil's busy doing? If you don't think this is the devil, you can just back up earlier in that chapter and you'll see it's the God of this age who's blinded the minds of those who are perishing. So yeah, Paul's exactly referencing the work of the enemy here. But you know what the key, key word is through all this? It's that word right there. It's but. The devil's going to say this. The devil's going to do this. The devil's going to accuse here. The devil's going to condemn here. But Christ, but God, but he has saved me. That, that's the right answer, which is the same answer that we're getting right here. And this is what you and I have to really wrap around our heads as we work to conclusions in this. Second, it's not just manifest as accusation. It's also manifest as adulation. It's a fancy word that means flattery. Fancy word that means thinking highly of yourself. This is exactly what you will do when you are faced with this fear of self-justification. You will either go down in the depths, not wanting anybody to see you, seeking to, to cover over, bring covering over yourself. So I'm so low, I have such self-deprecation, I don't want anybody to see me. Or you'll pretend everything's fine. Or you'll pretend everything's great. There's no problem at all. God, I'm, he's lucky to have me, frankly, if you ask. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Both of those are ditches on either side of the road that the devil forms for you and I as singular options. Either you are worthless or you are so great yourself. Both of them are the response of self-justification. And do you know what they make us do? Look at this from Psalm 36. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much. That's adulation right there. What is the result of that flattery? Too much to detect or even hate their sin. Remember, that's the frailty that you have. That's the Humpty Dumpty nature that, that, that you're feeling right now. You and I, in the recognition of our brokenness, will be exploited by the accuser to either 
think so lowly of ourselves that we want to hide and cover it up. Have you ever felt this way? Let me just, you ever not want to come to church? Nobody, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've all been there. Those moments where you don't want to come to church, that's probably the absolute most important time for you to go to church. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to know. Why? Because the devil has been attacking me constantly with the lies of my own need for self-justification. And I know I can't do it. I know I can't. And so I don't want anybody to know. Don't look at my name up on the board. Or you are, again, through that lie, so convinced that I'm fine that you put the same mask as Lucifer puts on. That like, Everything's sparkling clean in my life. Everything's hunky-dory. And you practice not self-deprecation, but self-exoneration. And in both cases, you have believed the lie of self-justification. This lie has three results. Number one, it will make you deny your own sins, so you will not grow. It will make you deny your need for a savior, and so you will be inhibited in your ability to glorify God, and it will make you deny your service to God. It will make you ineffectual. As soon as you... Start to believe the lie of self-justification. Don't let me lose you. I know justification is a huge word. It just means that you prove yourself right. You fix it yourself. You bandage yourself. That's what the word means. That when you pursue that lie coming from the devil, these are the results. I want you to see in the text where this shows up. It's actually one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. It may be the number one. It's in the top five. You need to memorize this verse. Verse 28. And we know, I learned it this way, God works all things together for good. The NIV here says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I want you to see the reversal of all these. Do you know why Paul has to convince the Romans that God will work it for good? He's going to work it for good. It's because they don't want anybody to see their sins. He doesn't want anybody to... The Romans don't want anybody to know that there's something wrong with them. They're, this is what's happening to them in the destruction of their failure to understand justification. They don't want to see their sins. They want to cover themselves up and hide from it. And Paul has to say, don't worry. It's, gonna, it's all going to work out for the good of those who love God. And then he says this next line, who are called. That's the word election. God chose. Not you chose. God chose. Not you do better and get on the right team. God redeems you when you are an enemy. God does the choosing. And if God does the choosing, who gets the glory? You or God? God does. And that's the reversal of this one. If you don't see your sin, then you don't see your need for a savior. If you think you can get better on your own, you will have no need to cry out for help. Do you remember John 8 from last week? The Jews, we ain't never been slaves, nobody. We're descendants of Abraham, blah, blah, blah. We're fine, leave us alone. Has that ever been you? Am I the only one up here that knows what this feels like to not want to see my name on the board and to pretend I'm fine and everything's all right? And then if you look again, verse 28, for those who have been called according to his oh, purpose. You mean I have a purpose? You mean there's something that I'm supposed to be doing? You mean God's got a plan through all of this? Yeah. God's got an awesome work that he's wanting to accomplish in and through your life. But so long as you're standing there as one, I don't need no help. Stop asking if I need help. Then you will fail 
to ever receive the wonder of the pleasure of knowing he chose a broken human like you to be used in service to glorify the king. You will be ineffectual to do any good. Before we move on to our conclusions, let's just take a peek back in Genesis. I'm claiming to you today that the number one lie of the devil is a lie onto self-justification through accusation and adulation. That's, That's the claim for this morning. Uh, Here's our Genesis 3 passage again. Let's just see if it shows up there. We're looking for the accusation. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the women, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was it right there. It's really easy to miss. It's this little phrase right here. For God knows. Wait a minute. There's something God didn't tell us? Wait a minute. There's something that God has been keeping from us? Wait a minute. There's, there's this accusation that I maybe am not important enough for God to explain. Every, did you see it? That was it right there. That was the accusatory lie from the evil one. To put the human creature in a desire to raise themselves higher because God knows something you don't know. He's hiding it from you. I wonder if the results also bear out with what we're studying. What happened to Adam and Eve right afterwards? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And so what did they do? Here's the accusation and what do you do? You want to hide. They covered themselves with fig leaves, sewing them together. Can you imagine how that went in the garden? (laughs) You're doing it wrong. I'm doing it my best. I've never done this before. (laughs) That fits wrong. That's the wrong fit. I'm imagining that wasn't a great moment for Adam and Eve. Because they're trying to cover over their sins. Who's doing the work? They are. Who's doing all the effort? They are. They are right now feeling all of that weight of the need of self-justification. And then what did they do after this? And they hid from the Lord God from among the trees of the garden. He won't find us. God won't know. No one can know. Erase our name off the board. Get it gone. So that's the first one. There's the accusation. What about the adulation? Saying that this is someone else's problem. It's not my fault. God shows up and he says... To Adam, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I've commanded you not to? And the man said, Not me. I'm fine. I didn't do anything wrong. There's no problem with me. So he goes to the woman. All right, lady. What's this you have done? And what does she do? Wasn't me. It wasn't me. I'm fine. I didn't do anything wrong. Do you, do you see what's happening? This is the exact scenario that you and I live in day in, day out, week in, week out. Our own fear of having to justify ourselves. And so you're going to go crazy in this. You won't see your sin. You'll live blind to your sin. I won't see it. I won't see it. I won't see it. My name's really not up on the board. We're fine. Don't ask me what's wrong. Everybody's good. We're great. You will live like that, denying your sin. You will fail to cry out on your knees for a savior. And then the devil sits back and says, we got him. We got him. 
look how, look how worthless their work is now. They, they can't do any good because they're trying to earn it all on their own. And so Paul gives us this amazing passage. I want us to walk through the conclusions. Here it is. Number one, only what God says matters. I cannot emphasize that to you enough. Only what God says about you matters. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, boom. I don't care what anyone else knows or says. I don't care. It's only what God says that matters. And do you know what God says? He says he loves you. We need to hear that more often than we do sometimes because that little demon on our right hand is constantly saying worthless, not good. You can't do it. Don't let anybody know. When, what does it tell us here? Verse 32, who, he who did not spare his one and only son but gave him up for us all, how he, will he not also along with him give us all, all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is God who justifies? Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the what? From the love of Christ. Do you know that the gospel does not begin with your worthless? It doesn't begin with that. It begins with God loves you. God loves you. And in your sin, you have marked yourself off on the wrong side of the courtroom. Justice and wrath will be poured out on you because of your sin. But God loves you. He desires you. Not in your sin, hear me that. Not in your sin. He desires you honestly because of himself. Because that's what he made you to be. He made you to be a representative reflecting the character of God made in his image. Because of that, you have infinite value and worth. Not, in, not derived from yourself. Make sure you do not mistake this. It does not source in you. It is sourced in the creative decree of God over the creation. That is where your value comes. And by basis of that value, he sent his son to die for you. The gospel begins with love. Um, there, there's been for every year of my kids' schooling, um, I have helped them to see kids are mean. Kids are mean. That's just who kids are. They're mean. Because why? Because, yeah, the devil's busy, busy, busy at work. And every kid is seeking to find their own justification in life by proving themselves worthy, by performing to please and trying to impress one another. Good thing we don't do that, right? Good thing that's just a bunch of kid problems. It's the exact same form of self-justification that we struggle with that's happening there because that kids are mean. And I tell my kids, it don't matter what anyone says. Don't listen to them. I'm the only one that you need to be concerned of. And then Emily says, well, me too. And I'm like, yeah, Mom, yeah, you too. Yeah. <laughs> like it's what your parents are declaring over you that matters. And that they would understand that to be a model for which they will grow up to understand. That's how I understand who I am in my identity in God's eyes. It does not matter what anyone says, church. The greatest win of the enemy is to keep your sin secret. And it will destroy you like cancer that's going untreated. It's ravaging your soul. And he is winning. The devil is winning. So pay attention to the playbook, would you? And understand it doesn't matter what anyone says. The text says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Number one. Number two, God's love is only applied in Christ. Okay, so this is, this is critical for us. If it's true that God loves you, you need to understand that until you are seen in his son, you exist on the wrong side of the courtroom. 
God's wrath will be over you, though he loves you. And it won't be a love of discipline, which it is for his children. It will be a love of justice for who God is, for God is just. Which means your only hope is Jesus. That's your only hope. God, God's not impressed with you. He loves you. He's not impressed with you, though. Do you know who's in, who is God impressed with? Jesus. Jesus. That's who God is impressed with. So you know what you need to do? You need to treat Jesus like a glove of which you just get inside. I'm inside of Christ. When people look at me, my prayer is they see Christ and not me. Because God is not impressed with me. At every point, I think he's impressed with me. You know what I've just done? Self-justification. I've just made it all about me again. And so hear me as loud and clear as you can. The text says in verse 32, he who did not spare his only son. That's where the love of God is applied. It shows up as you are seen in Christ. You'll see this from further in the chapter. This is the argument that Paul's going to make. I wish we had time. I would read all through chapter 9, all through chapter 10. We don't have time, but I can just give you the beginning of 10 because Paul's concern is for the Jews. The Jews were experts at self-justification. Experts at it. And Paul says, I love them. They're my own people. I come from them. That's my tribe. And how my heart is broken for them. And then watch what he says in chapter 10. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. What's that called? Self-justification. They're not saved. If, if that's what, listen, if no one's told you this, you might not be saved. If you are trying to establish your own righteousness in the place of Christ, that's not the gospel. That's credit to you. Great, good job. You're still a sinner. You're still broken. Humpty Dumpty is not put back together. This again from Paul in Philippians 3. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. These are false teachers. We'll look at them next week. For it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Oh, here's his list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless, perfect, according to Paul. There, there it is. That is your whole long list of self-justification. But watch what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may, be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own. That's the lie of the devil. It was in the garden. They're stitching together fig leaves. To cover over it. They're trying their hardest to patch it back together. And they're stealing from God's glory. Paul says, the righteousness that comes from God and is on the basis of faith. That which is through faith in Christ. I want you to know this is critical. God's love is only applied. By the way, it's available. It's available for the whole world. It's available. The love of God is not limited. It is available, sufficient for every human being. But it is only applied through Christ. Those who are in Christ. Does that make sense? 
All right, number three, only God justifies sinners. I, I, don't, I don't know why you would ever try this. You can't do it. Look with me again in the verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is who? You find it in your Bibles? It is who? Who justifies? Yeah, just write this in the margin. It ain't me. It ain't me. It is God who justifies. This would be like if you were an artist and painted a painting and there was some blemish on it. There's the painting and you say, painting, fix yourself. You know what the painting probably wants to do? Don't look. That's probably what the painting wants to do. Like there's a problem with me. There's an error in me. Can the painting fix itself? Who's the only one who can fix it? The maker, the artist, the creator. You, you and I got to know this. If at any point you are trying to fix your life yourself, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You can't do it. Only God can do it. Uh, the the Zechariah passage was great. Uh, I'd like to reference it again, but we'll move on. Number four, God's love for you is Everest bounding. Now, this is one for me that you got to give me, just give me like three to five minutes on this because this is so exciting for me to share with you. Um, what do I mean by this? God's love for you is Everest bounding. The only way you're going to understand this is if you know what Paul is thinking when he writes this. So look with me back into the text. Romans 8, one more time. A little bit of Bible study, three to five minutes. He says, what shall separate us? This is verse 35. Hardship, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. All, all resources of the enemy. All resources of Satan, the devil, Lucifer. And then, it's weird, he quotes the Psalms. Do you see that? Does your Bible have like a little paragraph margin break there? He says, for your sake we face death, face death all day long. We are considered sheep as to be slaughtered. Uh, I think this is maybe the wrong nuance in the translation. The for your sake should, ra- should be rendered instead by your purpose. That, that's what the psalmist means. The way Paul understood this, it might be different than how this is hitting you in English. It's for your sake, you might, you might be thinking Paul is referencing the people he's talking to. That's not it at all. He's quoting a psalm where the psalmist is referencing God. By God's design, we face death all day long. Now, if you're with me on that part, you should be like... What now? We, by God's design, we face death all day long. Thanks. Thanks, I guess. Right? I don't know why, why you're doing that. Like, what, what's the purpose in this? I have it up here on the screen. This is Psalm 44, 20 through 22. This is what Paul is reading when he quotes this. He says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to foreign gods, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? By the way, there you go. So why are you hiding? Does God know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally knows. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts and intentions of what you did. He knows what you didn't do. He knows it all. Yet for your sake, meaning by your design, by your purpose, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. If you were a Jewish reader of this hymn book of the Psalms, you would have known the very next verse is like a jump out of your seat. Awesome verse. But you don't know that. Paul does. Which is why the very next word in verse 37 is this emphatic, no. Because here's what the very next verse says. Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? 
Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why would you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us rescue us by your unfailing love. That whole section right here, the second half of the verse of Psalm 44, is the psalmist declaring, that's what my God is about to do. I I am facing death all day long. I can't... Just because I hate this, because this is awesome. I'm like, I'm down to you. You are going to face a bunch of trash in this life. Your sin and the attack of the evil one is going to tempt you to want to fix it yourself. And it's going to show up today, and it's going to show up tomorrow. Do you you argue with your spouse on the way here? Anybody? Anybody? No, you will sometime, right? Like, sin is going to show up. Why, God? Why does this keep showing up? And the answer is to show that you are more than a conqueror. Yeah, yeah, you, you will receive all the blessings and the promises of God. You will. He will save you. He will resurrect you. But there's something greater than that even. Do you know what's greater than being a conqueror? It's being loved. It's being loved. Psalm 44 places this contrast in the heart of the psalmist so that, yes, I'm facing the sin that I hate so much. Please erase my name off the board. But my God is going to save me. But my God is going to save me. But my God is going to save me. Not me. And that's because of his love for me. And this is why, I don't know of a better way to say this. It's, it's, it's over the mountains. God's love for you is higher than whatever sin can show up in your life. This is why Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Loves us. He loves you. And when you get that, when you understand that the rubbish that you're going through in your life is designed and allowed by God to show the immense value and worth of his love, then you'll say exactly like Paul says at the end of this. Therefore, I'm convinced that there's nothing, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. That's, that is what you will say when you understand this. So what do you do? What can you and I do as a counterattack? Well, it's pretty simple. And again, I feel like I've got to preach this again a bunch of times to get it, but hopefully you get it. Here it is. Stop trying to justify yourself. You just have to stop. And that sounds, I feel like it, to me it even just sounds too simple, but here's what it looks like. It's, it's stop trying to sew together the fig leaves. You look stupid in them. It's not working. It's not working. Stop covering things up. Stop thinking higher of yourself than you need to. The, The lie that you would believe is that my sins or my circumstances define me. They don't. Your sin does not define you. God loves you. So go to him for justification, which is the second half of this. So what do you do? You give the credit to Jesus. You give the credit to Jesus. He who is the most broken has the most opportunity to credit the Savior's blood for covering his sins. And if you are going to pull back and detract from that, my fear, my fear is you're going to live an unproductive, ineffective service to God. It will be like you're in prison. It will be like you have been locked up. And what does Jesus say? Do you remember last time? The truth truth will set you free. Wouldn't it be awesome if you and I heard that whoever's names get written up on there on the board, whoever's names go up there, 
Jesus will save. My name's up there. Praise God. My name is up there. Amen. Amen.